This is Amateur Logic, episode 121, for September 15th, 2018. This episode of Amateur Logic is brought to you by MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at mfjenterprises.com. And by ICOM. See how you can get the most out of this contest season with ICOM. Welcome to another episode of Amateur Logic. I'm George. I'm Tommy. I'm Emil. And it's good to be back again. Uh, again? As always. Yeah. Uh, tonight, Hamfest, uh, boy, cost A lot of Hamfest coverage. Yep. From all over the world. From, from Huntsville? Tokyo. Wow. You know, Tommy and I were at Huntsville along with uh, a lot of other friends. Yeah. Last yeah. month. Yeah, we do go to Huntsville Ham Fest pretty good bit. It's, it's a lot of fun. It, it always is, and see a lot of good friends there. The friendliest ham fest in the world. That's what they say. And we had a couple of friends go to Tokyo, to the Tokyo Ham Fair this year. Yeah, yeah, it looks like they had a great time. That was uh, Peter, VK3PB, and John Baggett, K2BAG. Yeah, the... You always see uh, the hats, the pictures of the hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's John. So the hat was represented at the Tokyo Ham Fair this year, Emil. The hats united. The hats united. And nice. we've got the video evidence to prove it. <laughs> so a lot of fun stuff in the show tonight, and uh, you don't want to miss it. I've got an email here that I've been holding on to uh, since June. This comes from Jose Carlos Silva, CT2IOK, and uh, he had seen the video I did of a heads-up display back, oh, some months ago. Actually, was it maybe December 2017 episode, I think? Yeah, nice, your nice display there. Yeah, you know, the old FT-857D, the display's going bad in it. Built a heads-up display here mm-hmm. using the uh, Arduino Mega. And a color TFT display there. I thought it made, you know, the radio quite presentable again. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. Anyway, uh, Jose wanted to know, do you have code to work with the Arduino Uno? So, no, unfortunately, the the Uno just isn't up to the task. And I've had other people ask, uh, can you use that heads-up display with different radios? And the version of the code I wrote there, no, it only works with the FT-857D. You could use it with any radio that does cat commands if you want to go in and change the commands inside the code there. But mm-hmm. you'd have to do a little programming. Yeah. So um, not impossible, but if, you, if you're if you willing to, to do the work. Right. And those, uh, the Megas, though, they're actually, you can get the kind of the knockoff ones. They're dirt cheap. Oh, yeah. They work well. They are. Most of the time, the chip's soldered onto the board. You can't replace it if you need to. 
Well, yeah, on the, most of the cheaper ones, but you can get one very inexpensive to yeah. run that. Well, the Megas only come with the you know surface mount chip anyway. Oh, do they? Yeah, oh, okay. it's the Unos that some of them you know mm-hmm. have the replaceable chip there. So, uh, thanks for that email, Jose. Well, Huntsville Ham Fest was a lot of fun this year, and this whole show tonight, there's going to be some strange things or unusual things. Like that's something new. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, some unexplainable things tonight. This one, I'm sure you could explain it if you knew all the uh, the background on it, but... Hey, it's supposed to be 95% effective. Yeah, that's what they said. It looks like something that uh, I could use. Have you ever heard of a tornado alert, Emil? No, but it sounds intriguing. We've got Mickey Lee here from Early Alert. They do real-time weather management. Mickey, it is good to see you at Huntsville Ham Fest this year. Tell me, what is it that Early Alert does? Well, George, glad to be here. Thank you. Early Alert has a device called the Tornado Alert Unit. And it's a standalone device that's designed to fill some of those gaps in our warning system so that people are aware when there's a tornado that's approaching that they need to take shelter from. So does this receive from uh, NOAA Weather Radio, or how does this work? No, it is not a NOAA Weather Radio. It's actually its own, its own device. It's, it's a detector in itself. It has an antenna in it that detects the electrical and electromagnetic energy emanating from a thunderstorm in their locale. It has about a 30-mile range, and it's really designed to give that early warning that other systems and other sources of warning don't allow. So with that data, it can actually detect that there's a a funnel cloud in the area or a severe thunderstorm or, or what? Exactly. There's five different levels that the display will demonstrate, and I'll demonstrate for you here. The first level is, uh, of course, that there's no threat, but the first level of detection is lightning. It'll actually show you how far away that source of energy is within that 30-mile range. So whether it's 5 miles, 10 miles, 15 miles away. The next level is, is a thunderstorm that's not severe, but when it goes to the next level is severe thunderstorm, and it'll actually sound an alarm that you hear, the audible alarm, as well as a strobe strobe light for people that are deaf but it's designed to to make sure people are aware of that approaching threat so think of the smoke detector in your house it's a passive device that's simply there to detect the danger and then warn the occupants of the house but this could this could be in any building or any location but it's really there to make sure regardless of whatever other systems there may be for warning, that they're aware. So if there's communication failures, if there's power outages, if the weather service never actually issues a warning or if they're too late, or if they've only issued a severe thunderstorm warning when there's actually a tornado, this device will ensure that the, the people in that, the occupants in that house or in that building are aware. So let, let me get this straight now. Does this unit uh, predict or uh, actually verify there is a severe thunderstorm or or different levels of thunderstorm? Can it differentiate or identify a tornado within that? Yes. So as as it cycles up, it'll go to severe thunderstorm, and then the next level is tornado risk, which would be 
a tornadic thunderstorm that's capable of producing a tornado, and then that final level that it will display or it will alarm for is a tornado, actual tornado. And each one of those has a different signature that it, that antenna is picking up and that the microchip in here is is uh, assessing and determining that 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 level of severity is uh, is in that is in, in in range of that the location of the device. So how much does a unit like this cost? Our regular price is 84.95. So you're not dependent on the National Weather Service forecasting and you actually being able to pick up the radio signals, this is just looking at the, the raw weather out there and determining this on its own. Exactly. It's a complete standalone device. It's really designed to augment all that other weather information that you have or, or may not have. If the communications break down, if the power outage, if there's uh, a failure of the weather service, maybe you're in a gap in the radar, uh, in the radar zones, in, in between radars. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why the warning system may not work in a given instance or in your location. This will cover all of those gaps. Wow, well, that, that is fantastic. Now, rechargeable battery? It's got a backup battery. It's an AC power supply with a backup battery so that even if there is a power outage, it will continue to function. Well, thanks for talking with us and making us aware of this. That sounds like a a great device there and just... Reading Mother Nature and telling what's going on. Technology's made some great advances, and thank you, George, for having us on your your show here. One of the other things, George, that this is really great for is amateur radio operators always want to undo their antennas from their radios before they get maybe a lightning hit or whatever. This gives them a further advance uh, notice of that. So we're saving that expensive uh, radio gear. Cool. You just gave me an idea there. Yes, sir. Uh, it, it's a great advantage. Yeah. All right, and, and you're David KB5EDB. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm out of San Angelo, Texas, and that uh, been ham nearly 48 years. And so this is a, a great advantage that we use in conjunction now with everything else. Cool. Well, thanks, thanks guys, for talking with us today and uh, letting us know a little bit about the tornado alert. Thank you, George. Thank you. That's pretty cool. You know, I was asking him at the end. It it reminded me of, uh, I always thought it was kind of a wives' tale, that you could put your television on Channel 2, and Mm -hmm. when the tornado got closer, you could see the interference, the static on the TV change. But he did did say that's the same principle it works off of. I forget Mm -hmm. what it's called, the Wheeler effect or something. I I was going to look it up, but I was afraid to mess with the computer while the video was playing. but uh, it's, it's it's pretty interesting device. Moving what, right along. Moving right along. What are we going to do next? Yeah, so uh, we ran into our friend Bill Brown. That did the he does the balloon launches and builds the cool little uh, electronics for yeah. the balloon tracking. So uh, we ran into him and I talked to him for a few minutes. Yeah, he's he's done some updated. Yeah, stuff yeah. On I was that. trying to see what what's changed. You've seen Bill on here before. W eight E L K. Um, the up. Guy that created the little transmitters that they're using on the balloons. Oh, very fine to see you uh, again. And uh, we wanted to tell you a little bit about the new adventures that we've had with this over the past year since we last saw you. Yeah, what what ha- what has changed on it? Uh, we've done some additional firmware to make it a little more power efficient, but pretty much it's the same board as uh, what we had. We have a GPS receiver, 
Uh, the uh, Atmel 328 processor, which is the same they use in the Arduino, and a little synthesizer transmitter puts out a whopping 25 milliwatts. Totally solar powered. We use PowerFilmSolar.com flexible power uh, solar cells, which uh, are very lightweight and they're very rugged. Uh, we do a lot of school activities and launch these for anything from elementary, middle school, high school, and colleges. Uh, a lot of uh, schools lately have been flying these as a STEM project. Uh, and the problem is they, they like to touch it a lot, and when we launch them, sometimes they crash into the ground if it's a high wind. And so these flexible panels will survive uh, a lot of abuse. So they aren't as efficient as the model crystalline, but I built it for ruggedness yeah. and for, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And I have a supercapacitor on the back. That's actually a half-farad capacitor. Now, the maximum voltage on this is 5.5 volts. You don't want to go over that. Ask me how I know. <laughs> Sounds like an M80 firecracker when it goes off, because once I forgot and I put a 9-volt battery pack on it, bang took about a minute oh wow <laughs> so uh we use guitar string for the antenna wires 19 inches up and down i have these coiled up for display but they just pop out i unwind it here i did it the wrong way but so this particular one does aprs for the telemetry right two meter aprs every two minutes you see it's 19 and a half inches long this is number 13 gauge uh guitar string Everything has to be as lightweight as possible uh, because we want to create a tracker that is 12 grams or less. And so basically less than half an ounce. And this, uh, we use the circuit board that is about a third the normal thickness. And I had to special order that from a PC board house to get the, the weight cut down on this. And that really cuts down the weight to get a thin PC board. And it's still sturdy enough that it'll handle handle the flight uh, parameters environment. So do, do you stuff the boards yourself? I do. Um, I have a couple people helping me build these at the moment. But uh, shortly I'll be going into an assembly house and getting more produced. <clears throat> but it takes a while. I mean, I have to have a magnifying glass and a fine-tipped iron, real fine solder, and a steady hand. Yeah, so... Um so you, you're doing it? I supply these uh, completely assembled at the moment, so that it's not in kit form. And I program them with the call sign, and they transmit every two minutes, during, oh, you, as long as it's sunny. Yeah, well, you beat my baby to the next question then, because I was going to ask you, if you buy it, can you program it yourself, or do you have to get it pre-programmed? At the moment, I am programming the call signs in directly uh, when I get an order with the call sign and the uh, SSID APRS extension number. Uh, I have a whisper version on 20 meters available as well. And uh, the difference there is it transmits two minutes for the whisper transmission with your regular call sign, the grid square. And what normally is the power field, I use that for the altitude. So I can encode altitude in that last power field transmission. There's not a lot of room and whisper format to do things like altitude, temperature, and battery voltage. So I send a second transmission with either a, a call sign that begins with a zero, one, or Q, which are an invalid call signs. There are no call signs that begin with that. 
And But it, since it follows right after my normal call sign, it's legal to do within that 10-minute uh, segment. And I embed the telemetry into the call sign fields. Oh, okay. And then the final power field is the fine power, the fine altitude. So I can get 60-meter increments with the whisper. So I wrote a Python program. If you're familiar with Python. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it grabs the data from Whisper. Whisper has a website called whispernet.org, W-S-P-R-net.org. And anybody who receives a Whisper transmission in any of the world ends up with the software. It sends it to their server. So you can look on their database and see, just like APRS.fi, you can see who is picking up your Whisper transmitter. So I grabbed that data, both my regular call sign transmission and the telemetry transmission right after it, mixed them together, formatted into APRS format, and sent it to the APRS servers. That way a whisper transmitter on a balloon shows up just like it was an APRS transmitter. Well, that's pretty, pretty so tricky. If you've ever seen a balloon out over the middle of the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean and wondered how did they receive that, that's the reason. There was a whisper 20-meter balloon. Uh, well, that's pretty cool. But the schools love it because if you can get a, uh, a student to track something on their smartphone, you've got them hooked into amateur radio. Right. Yeah, so I'm just curious. It, uh, I've said it before. Well, this is one of the things on my ham radio bucket list. Before, before I check out of here one of these days, I want to do one of these myself. I'd like to do it sooner than later. Well, what, what would it What would it cost? Like, generally, what's it ballpark cost? I know there's some variables well, to get started. Right now, I'm selling these for $149 for the tracker, ready to fly. And I usually include some uh, weights and things to inflate the balloon so you know exactly how to get the lift just right. You can't, you have to be very precise in how much free lift, the amount of lift over the weight of what's flying below the balloon, or the balloon will pop. So for these Mylar party balloons, which are three, six, three foot in diameter, they usually cost about $3 a piece. But you have to get three grams of lift. If you go above that or below that too much, uh, over that it'll pop. Below that it may not float. So you, What's the weight of the, the 12 grams. 12. So uh, I like to say uh, a nickel weighs five grams and a penny weighs two and a half grams. So what I generally do is when I attach this to the balloon, I put a penny on it. If it still goes up, I know I've got enough lift. I take the penny off, put a nickel on. If it starts going down, I know I'm in the right range. Okay. So it's very, That's very fine. Final double check before I launch. Not, not a lot of room for error there. Uh, yeah, uh, we're talking one gram, yeah. plus or minus a gram. So that's not a lot of weight. That and then so that's um, the key to making a successful flight that will float. Yeah. So earlier when I was chatting with you, you said that um, you can use helium or nitrogen. Hydrogen. Hydrogen. Hydrogen will last longer. It doesn't leak since it's a bigger. It's H two, so it's bigger than the helium. Uh, so it doesn't leak through the balloon as as much. Okay. So you get a lot more lifetime with a mylar party balloon the ones that cost three dollars uh with the helium you get about 10 days to two weeks flight time on on one if you don't hit a storm 
with hydrogen, you can get upwards to three weeks to a month. Oh, wow. And so it's a big difference. And you'll fly a couple thousand feet higher. Okay. What's the longest balloon that you've had up? So far, uh, I flew a special balloon. It's made out of uh, basically a plastic wrap, it's like a sushi wrap. And uh, Scientific Balloon Solutions sell them. That's their model SBS-13. They're about $129. Uh, they're out of California. It's scientificballoonsolutions.com. And that balloon combined with this, I was got a 75-day flight out of it. I went around the world over six times. And it was transmitting on Whisper, so I know exactly where it landed. If you want to go get it, it's in the Ivory Coast of Africa in the jungle. <laughs> so yeah, that's an expedition to go find it. That would be the way to go. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Uh, but you could expect uh, multi, uh, could be more than one month on one of those balloons if you get it to float uh, right. And it'll be higher, about forty to 42,000 feet. And so you'll be above most of the weather. And that's the key is getting above the weather. Okay. And uh, one, one last question. I know we, uh, you got to go do a talk. Um, what special clearance do you have to get from the, air, from the airport, uh, FAA, or anybody? Standard balloon flights, uh, you have a 12-pound limit, 6 pounds per payload, and without having to file any uh, fancy paperwork. This is uh, half an ounce, so we're well under that limit. So you can just go and, and launch it without having to worry about that? Now, if you're next to Huntsville International Airport and you're launching in their flight path, you probably want to call the tower first. You always use sense on anything. But uh, generally, you don't have to worry because this is a party balloon and a half-ounce tracker, so there's no danger present with it. That's that's fascinating stuff. I appreciate you taking the time. I do have one last thing. I do have an algorithm in here that prevents me from transmitting over the United Kingdom, which has a rule against flying amateur radio and aerial devices like airplanes or hotter balloons or kites or balloons. You can't do it in the United States in their amateur radio rules. But there's two other nations I have to avoid transmitting over. One is Yemen. Can you guess what the other one is? Uh, all right. North Korea. North Korea. Oh, yeah, I guess I should have known that. Start World War Three. <laughs> yeah. well, that's pretty cool. I guess you th- you've thought of a lot of stuff in the software. Um, how big is your sketch? Oh, it's pretty big. Yeah, it's uh, about 16K. Oh, wow. uh, I've been working on it for a long time. The Whisper takes a lot, and the APRS actually is a pretty big program, too. Uh, if anybody wants to find out more information, you can contact me, WB8ELK, my call sign, at uh, gmail.com. Okay, cool. Yeah, appreciate you taking the time to show it to us again. Sure. You know, that thing just keeps getting better and better. And I, I bet you can, you, you can predict tornadoes with one of those, too. Yeah, if you just send it up and watch it when it starts twirling around. On the, on the GPS? Oh, oh, yeah, instead of visually? Yeah. Yeah, or you put hydrogen in it. And, yeah, you know that that might uh, create a he nice does, He's too. done a really nice job with those things. Oh it's, yeah, it's amazing. He's just constantly improving it too. Yeah. So, and I know 16K doesn't sound a lot in today's <coughs> world, but when you write in it, it is. It, for, oh, yeah. Well, for for an Arduino sketch, that's huge. Yeah. 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 So uh, yeah, thanks. 
thanks for talking with us about that, Bill. You know, we we see him at different events, and he's always tweaked on it a little bit uh-huh. and got something going a little yeah, better with it. It's very interesting stuff. Uh, like I said, that's one of the things on my bucket list. One day before I check out of here, I'm going to do one of those. Okay. Well, we'll be back in just a minute because we've got a lot yet to go. So first, let's get a message from ICOM. Heard it, worked it, logged it. It's time to get the transceiver that's best suited for your lifestyle. ICOM offers a variety of high-performance and innovative products. See how you can make the most out of contest season with these transceivers. The competitive edge you've been looking for, raise the bar and hear what others cannot with this flagship HF 50 MHz transceiver, the IC7851. Reciprocal mixing dynamic range, crystal clear local oscillator design, spectrum scope, dual receivers, and digital voice recorder. The IC7610 is the SDR every ham wants and just in time for contesting season. This high-performance SDR has the ability to pick out the faintest signals even in the presence of stronger adjacent signals. The new ICOM IC7610 is a direct sampling software-defined radio that will change the world's definition of a SDR transceiver. RF direct sampling, 110 RMDR, independent dual receiver, dual digicell. IC7300 is changing the way entry-level HF is designed. This high-performance innovative HF transceiver with a compact design will far exceed your expectations. RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, and SD memory card slot. Visit icomamerica.com amateur for more information on all the great ICOM radios. Speaking of that, the D-Star QSO party is coming up again, September the 22nd. Uh, it'll be lasted from 0 UTC to 2400 UTC. Wow. So uh, that should be a lot of fun. I did a segment on that a couple of years ago, I guess. Mm, I don't think it was last year, but anyway, it's yeah. it's always a lot of fun. Uh, so anyway, check that out. Yeah. Well, you know, we haven't done uh, any swag photos here lately on the show. We've done some in the past, and they have been kind of stacking up on us. Yeah, I think we missed them last month because of some reason or another. But, yeah, there's quite a few. Well, let's get on into a few of them we got this month. Uh, this first one is, oh, boy, I can't pronounce his last name. Uh, maybe y'all got you guys can help me out there. It's Don... K4EAE from Jacksonville, Florida. He was visiting Falls Mendenhall Glacier in Alaska. How how did you pronounce it? Alskog? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Boy. uh, Man, that's a beautiful place, isn't it? Well, it sure is. I think that's probably the farthest north the swag has been in. And and that's a darn good-looking hat he's got on, too. Oh, yeah. Well, he probably couldn't stay out there without that hat on because of the temperature. It's Kevin Ivey, K4IVE. He's the president this year of the Huntsville Amateur Radio Club. And we got to spend a little time with Kevin hanging out, and somebody snapped a shot there because... Kevin's got the swag on. He does. Yep. <laughs> and he's looking, in the chat room, of look, course. Looking oh, yeah. good. Yep. So, Kevin, thanks for representing there. Malcolm Parsons, KI4KI. Um, anyway, he's got, I kind of got the picture cut off, but he's actually got on the exact same shirt I've got, same color, everything. Yeah. 
Well, it has two different shirts. It's not the same one. It's a very can. similar shirt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been kind of crowded. Well, yeah. We don't have a model like that. Yeah. 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 Uh, who else we got, Emil? B3MIC, Buddy Mike, and his friend. And he was at, uh, I think it's pronounced Ontars, Hamfest, Milton, and Canada from the Burlington Amateur Radio Club. Burlington, I used to go up there. Yeah, Mike's in the chat room over there right now. Looking sharp, Mike. To me, from Finland, OH7T. I don't know where exactly he was. Yeah, it doesn't say, but the hat's looking good there. I don't know where that is, but that's pretty scenery. Yep. And he sent us another one, this one. I'm assuming it's in Finland somewhere. Yeah. Oh, maybe. There's a good (laughs) chance. This one is his trailer, and I don't know how to pronounce this either here. It's Horpy. That's pretty good. Uh, That's the best (laughs) I can do with it. H-O-E-R-P-P-Y. Yep. He's got an 80-foot tower on it there. Oh, wow. He said he's carrying a heavy load. But look at that long piece there and how he's handling that. Oh, wow. He's got it strapped down to a dolly there. And I guess if it's, I don't know if it's too long to carry on the trailer. Is that how you do it? Uh, I don't know. Because otherwise. That's not really how I do it. But no. uh, if it works for you, I guess. Well, he's got a hat on it right there. Yeah, so that probably know. makes it better. Yeah. That probably makes it okay. That's pretty interesting. And, uh, well, email, I bet you know this guy that posted this one right here. Oh, I sure do. Ralph Mills, AB10P, is uh, um, apparently a, a, a dental visit of sorts. Yeah. Just, the hat's just hanging out, waiting you for him to come your, out, I check guess. Check your hat at the door. DX Entel was the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> DX Entel. Yeah, that was the, the name he had saved. That that came from a Google Plus post. Tommy, you know this guy right here. He was spotted yeah, in Tokyo. Yeah, Michael Coulter, W8CI, from... Uh, Dayton Amateur Radio Club. Yep. I think you know who posted this one, too, Emil. K2BAG. This is uh, Akinhabara Knobs. No, no. Did I say that right? Uh, I, I, it's Knobs that he's showing, and they're in whatever you said there. Okay. You know, there's a lot of electronic shops over there. That's where he got those from. But yeah, you, I think you know, he referred to them as like chicken head knobs. Those are, or yeah, those are chicken head knobs, and you can kind of figure why yeah. they're called that. And you, we've never spotted that many with a hat before. Never. Not in the wild. And we got another one here. This is um, unknown. I'm not. Who, who is this, Tommy? You know what? That one I did not get his call sign. Um, so, anyway. Well, but he didn't get his call sign. Sorry about that. That anyway, was a I don't remember. Or met him at Huntsville. There were so many people, but I, I don't remember. I, I apologize for that. That's a shame because if I had aimed that camera a little bit lower, he probably had on a badge there mm-hmm. with his call sign and everything. One final swag photo here. Now this is this is not swag that's out in the wild yet. This is something that's. That's on prototype. You might see it come up in a... Still in development? Yeah. You might see it come up in a Christmas catalog or or something somewhere. Oh, it's beta swag. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Mike. From from the Propeller Hats Hat Society. (laughs) Yeah. 
uh, VE3MIC <clears throat> did that for us a while back. Well, you know, I was given a lesson during field day, so it's it's appropriate. And it was pretty hot. It was. Yeah. We should probably get some of those for here when we can't run the AC. <laughs> hey, you giving me an idea? Thanks, everyone, for wearing the swag there. And, yeah, appreciate it. And I uh, appreciate you guys representing at the Ham Fest. It's always kind of nice to see see the uh, the swag when you go to those things. It is. Yeah. I, I think I had a, a pronunciation error here. I think that's that's what's got me confused. Are you not, you're not a professional pronunciator? No, not like Don Wilbanks. I'm here at the Ute Lounge in Huntsville, and boy, they have some excellent activities going here today. There's robots. There's there's machines racing behind us. There's people soldering. Just all kinds of stuff here. We're going to hunt down Monty Bateman, who kind of heads up this division of the Ham Fest, and find out what's going on this year. And here's Monty. Hey, George. Thanks for coming, guys. This is the Youth Lounge at the Huntsville Ham Fest. We've got some new things this year. I want to show you. We've got some snap-together electronics kits so the kids can build circuits. This young man here has built what's called a flying saucer. Show him how it works. We've got an FM radio receiver, two or three other uh, kits here that the kids can build and learn a little bit about electronics. And it's been a big hit because there have been kids here nonstop all day since we opened. This is a new addition to the Youth Lounge this year. And then here's another new addition to the Youth Lounge is we're going to here in a little bit, set up a bunch of Arduinos and mm-hmm. teach kids how to program and blink some lights on now, the Arduino board. Now you're talking about having my kind of fun. Oh, well, software, hardware, it's got to be in one of the places. This is our ninth year to do a youth lounge here at Huntsville, and every year we've had these solder kits, and it's very, very big hit. A lot of kids love to do solder kits. And what we do here is have them build a little Morse code sender, complete Morse code all in one board with the key, and uh, kids can build these in about 30 or 45 minutes, and every one of them takes one home working. I see you've got an expert solderer going there that's, that's doing the training. Hmm, it looks like a familiar name over there, maybe. That's my oldest son, James. He spends his summer with kids at space camp, so he's good at working with school-aged children, and uh, it's something that he does a lot. And he, uh, he's good at teaching them how to do things. What is happening here? These kids are playing Morse code bingo. It's always a big hit. And uh, we have little prizes we give away for whoever gets to bingo first. And uh, helps them learn a little bit about Morse code. A lot of the kids on the robotics team have a 3D printer. And there are lots of different kinds of 3D printers. So here we've got three different ones we're going to show you. And so this little one that's made out of laser-cut plywood was the first 3D printer that was uh, bought by a team member. And it's still working, and it's printing the little robot souvenirs. So you can see each one and how they all work a little bit differently, but they do the same thing. Now, what is controlling this one right here? Does it have its own controller, or is it a computer, or, or what? It's got an Arduino board that runs the whole thing, and you upload a file from your computer to the Arduino board, and then it just draws it out. Those are souvenirs that we print to give away. That's actually a robot whistle, 
And then in the other box down the table is just little printed robots that the kids like to take. So I guess this is a this is a pretty good step up here. Yes, it is. That's a newer newer by about two generations, and so it it does the same thing. It's printing a robot, and uh, or maybe that one's printing a flower. And uh, yeah, it's printing a flower. And so that's a obviously a commercial works out of the box kind of printer. The one on the end is made by a company called Prusa, and they're out of the Czech Republic. We ordered that from Prague, and it was shipped here from Prague as a kit. It's it's brand new, literally about a month old, and it is amazing how many advances the 3D printing has made in the last three or four years. It's very, very, very advanced now in terms of the software and the way it controls things, and the print quality is really, really good. What are the prices running on 3D printers these days? Have they come down? You can buy a really nice printer for six or seven hundred dollars and if you've got time to test and tweak and and experiment you can buy a pretty decent one for two or three hundred dollars so how many members on the team uh it varies been on school year to school year but usually six or eight how do you uh place in the regionals or nationals or or whatever i'm i'm unaware of the structure of the competitions um last year not this not this past year, but a year ago, we made it to the World Championships in Houston. Wow. So, not bad. Not, not bad at all. Now, this is Megan, the spokesmodel for the robotics team here. And, Megan, how long have you been coming here doing this? Uh, this is my second year with the team. And how old are you? I'm 16. 16. So, tell us a little bit about what you guys do. So each year we're given a competition and we have to build a robot to complete the tasks. And this year we had to pick up foam cubes and stack them into columns. And we're going to find out what our new challenge is September 8th. When we find out what it is, we'll have a certain amount of time to build a robot until our competition, which is going to be in early February. What are these these guys and gals doing here behind us right now? So we built three little robots so kids could drive it at our outreach events. So these two ladies are showing them how to drive and then just letting them have fun. So did they ever destroy any robots while they're, while they're playing here? Occasionally. Uh, a lot of times there's a lot of interference here. So when they bump into each other, the robots disconnect. So we kind of ask them to keep away from each other, but we haven't had too big of a problem. Would you recommend this for the average school ager, say um, middle school, or, or how young of age would you go down to? Um, honestly, I would recommend it for anybody because it is such an incredible learning experience. Not only do you learn how to build robots and program, you learn so much. You learn about public speaking, and you learn how to put things together. It's an incredible experience, and you learn so much more than you ever would in a classroom. Well, Megan, thanks for talking with us. Thank you. They had a really nice lounge. Oh, yeah. The, the they youth, always do. The youth they, lounge. Youth. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you say it. <laughs> you don't see that at too many ham fests. I'm going to tell you right now. I haven't seen it at any. Not 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 to that extent. They did a really nice job with it. Uh, actually, well, not to that extent. But but coming along, the one at Dayton this year had. Yeah, the one at Dayton had. It did have quite yeah. a few things in it. Yeah, it was coming along. It, yeah, you know, well thought out. Yep. Yeah, very well nice. thought out. 
And, you know, I think we probably got some more footage of them doing this in Tokyo. Really? Yeah. It's kind of short, but I think we got some uh, a little later in the show here. Okay. Uh, let's see. Well, that's that's basically all we shot at Huntsville this year, except one other thing here. I, I got together with our friend Wayne, KG5RE, at the end of it, and, uh, well... We ran into another familiar face there, too. Well, there's not much time left here at the Huntsville Ham Fest for this year. Wayne, how did you make out? I did okay. Spent a little more money than I thought I was going to, but uh, ran across the deal and couldn't pass, you know, just couldn't pass it up. What was that deal now? I found me in a second uh, little Tar Heel 2 that was used, and from all indications, it seems to be a-okay, but we'll find out. Now, you you bought this so that you could put it on your second vehicle, right? Yeah. I uh, finally, after 52 years, was able to afford a second vehicle, and I've got a big pickup now. So I just, after having had the first Tar Heel, there was no doubt that I had to have a second one to go on that vehicle as well. So that's kind of what I was looking for, and actually that was the only Tar Heel I saw used for sale at the whole ham fest. Yeah, once you've had one of those, it's hard to, to go back to a regular antenna. Well, I know that you're going to need a rig to go with that Tar Hill as well. He's going to ship me one of everything. He said he'd ship me one of everything at no cost, so I'm just I'm just waiting for him to arrive. He's trying to get me in trouble, everybody. That's uh, that's not, not official. No, that's, that's totally unofficial, I think. Don't worry, Ray. It's okay. It's all right. But he should put in, what, what rig should he put in his mobile? Oh, well, uh, what do we want to do in the mobile? I heard we got a new HF, uh, new Tar Heel, so uh, I think the 7100 might be a pretty good fit, Wayne. It could be. Could be. I think it would be an excellent fit. And you can just pass me the money under under the <laughs> camera here. All right, good good ham fest this year? It was a great ham fest this year. Uh, Two-day show, we're here, of course, on Sunday. Uh, Sunday's always a little bit slower, but yesterday was really something to write home about. It was a big, great crowd. Today's been quite good as well. Uh, no complaints at all. Uh, good traffic through the ICOM booth. A lot of questions about the new 7610, which we're uh, excited to be showing and shipping and selling to everybody. Uh, and always having a good time in Huntsville every year. Oh, yeah, definitely. And Ray was here yesterday. I haven't seen him this morning. He, he ran off and left you again to pack all this up, didn't he? He did. It's okay. He's the boss, man. He's it's that's his prerogative. He uh he had to catch a flight, had to get back home, so he had to hit the road. But it's okay. We're uh we got a good setup here. It's nice and easy to uh, pack back up, and I'm sure I'll be on the road uh, without too much hassle. I'm sure you will, because I know for a fact Ray has packed up this setup right here many times by himself. We get uh, we get good at it. Ray is Ray is the absolute uh, the best at it. He's been doing it for for the longest of anybody. But I've gotten pretty good at it over the past few years here as well. So we'll get it all taken care of for sure. All right, good to see you again, Will. And I guess I probably won't see you again unless you come to Jackson this year. I probably won't see you till um, the Hamvention. Well. That'll be all right. Uh, it's always a pleasure to see you guys. Always a pleasure to uh, say hello to the world, as it were. And uh, we'll see you at the next one. All right. 7-3. 73s. 7-3. And now let's go get your rig. He didn't get a rig. He didn't? Nope. So. Well, he's got the antenna. He's ready for it. He does have the antenna. <laughs> you know, I, I need another Tar Heel <laughs> antenna. I need one for my pickup. Oh, yeah? Yep. 
Uh, he's way ahead of me. The last time we were there, Huntsville, he tried to get me to get one of those Tar Heels, so he's got two, two to zero. He's oh, up. yeah. Uh, same same here. Yeah, once once you've had one of those, you you really won't want another mobile antenna. Yeah. It's just, it's it's life-changing, Emil. Yep. It's, <laughs> it's a life-changing experience. Yeah, so. it's not cheap, but, yeah, it really is. Because you can say, I, I want to be on 20 meters and just... Hit the button and, and go there. Don't have to pull off the road. Pretty nice. Well, Emil, you got an email Say for that three us times tonight. Real fast. Yeah, this is from our uh, from a ham who uh, is uh, after my own cheap credo here, and uh, he learned about you know the geocrons and and also about the prices of the geocrons. And uh, decided to uh, make one of his Raspberry Pis using the Sun Clock application. A uh, fascinating project for the Pi. Goes down the, the cheap old man use for Pies. And uh, I loaded it up. It was very easy to do. And it's amazing what you can do with it. There's a, there's a few articles that uh, show you how to morph the images from night with lights. World maps. Really nice looking maps compared to the daytime area in that uh, Sun Clock app. So neat stuff. And right down the cheap old man alley, it's uh, Eric Wooster's uh, K4PYR was the guy who sent that in. So thanks, Eric. Awesome. Yeah, that really looked nice. Mm-hmm. And compared to buying one, wow. <laughs> no comparison, huh? No. No, I mean, the, the newer one uh, came down in price, but you still have to have that 4K television if you want. <laughs> so you'll have that high, high resolution of the new Geocrons. They are fascinating, too, but uh, not cheap old man compliant, for sure. No, no. I'd buy a Tar Heel first. <laughs> then you can get one. <laughs> well, uh, guess what we're going to look at next? Neither one of you going to guess? All righty, then. That's, he sure did look familiar. He did look kind of familiar. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be back. We've got some coverage from the Tokyo Ham Fair with uh, Peter. And guess who else was there? The hat. The hat. Yep. But we'll be right back. Uh, first uh, message from MFJ. And, uh, boy, we got we got a lot to go here. We do. We're not even halfway through. This year at Dayton Hamvention, MFJ introduced the new MFJ 1886 Wideband Receiving Loop. This antenna covers all the way from 500 kilohertz for the standard AM broadcast band through 30 megahertz with no tuning required. You can dig out previously unreadable signals and track down annoying sources of interference with the MFJ 1886. This receive loop gives you tremendous power to copy weak signals through impossibly strong levels of QRN or QRM. Its superbly direct development and bulletproof low-noise preamp dig out buried signals normally lost when using wire antennas. You'll get the perfect loop balance for deep, precise nulls. The dual MMIC push-pull preamplifier provides wide dynamic range. Phantom power is provided to the preamp through your coax by the included AC adapter and bias T. The indestructible aircraft-grade 36-inch aluminum loop offers great portability at two and a half pounds, and the tough molded weatherproof enclosure is perfect for outdoor installations. 
It mounts with regular TV hardware. Its standard U-bolts work with any conventional one and three-quarter inch mast, and all mounting hardware is included. This loop is a powerful tool that will help you locate those noise sources you can suppress and null out those that you can't. Here are the signals you never knew were there with the new MFJ1886 wideband receiving loop antenna. Check out this and the world's largest selection of ham radio accessories at mfjenterprises.com today. That last video there. T- Tommy, did you did you notice any anybody in there? No, but I was trying to figure out what the co- costume that girl was supposed to have on. There was some significance to it. I don't know what it was. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, apparently, Peter, Peter was in there. Somewhere. Yeah, Peter was in there, standing right in front of him. I very briefly saw Peter. Yeah. Well, you know, his costume he had, he just kind of blended into the background. You couldn't really tell he was there, but um, I, th- I think you'll you'll see what I'm talking about. What are we going to look at here, Emil? I want to say that this is going to be uh, VK3PB and K2BAG's uh, introduction to the Tokyo Ham Fair, where they were the crew who were there and uh, got to see it all and shared it with us. Well, hello everybody and welcome from Japan. Uh, I'm Peter Barrett and I've got John Baggett, uh, K2BAG, uh, here with me and we've come to Tokyo for Ham Fair 2018. Well, how is your trip over, John? Long but very, very great. Oh, that's great. You, you, you of course, flew business class. Which Absolutely. Uh, All those miles. Yeah, it's well worth it using the frequent flyer miles and uh, I've come over myself from uh, Melbourne, Australia and uh, I also went business class but I came with uh, JAL, Japan Airlines and uh, just want to uh, put a big shout out to the uh, people there uh, for the excellent service that they uh, they, pr- they provide and I'll, I'll be heading back with, uh, with Qantas in uh, a week or two which is great. But we're here for Ham Fair and Ham Fair is one of the biggest ham uh, uh, swap meets if you want to call it that uh, in um, in the world it uh, it's in the same sort of scale as Dayton or Friedrichshaven and I've heard a lot about it but uh, you know thought well let's go have a look at it absolutely I, I read on the website 38,000 people on the two days wow. they're expecting through here yeah and look you know just looking at it um, there's two major halls here that I can just see uh, j- just looking at it and uh, um, one, one thing that is worrying me, and we haven't done any interviews yet, is simply the question of, well, is anybody going to speak any English? <laughs> I, I don't know about that. Um, but uh, look, anyway, I'm, I've been having a great time here in, in Japan. Have you had a chance to do much, John? We've been here about two days now, and we've done some. We're still getting over the jet lag, because from the US, it's a 22-hour journey that we went through. But yeah, it's a brilliant city. My second time here. The people are amazing. You must yeah. know that yourself. Absolutely. The, the people are probably the friendliest I rank them equal with the Balinese uh, in terms of the friendliest people in the world and uh, yeah they just um, uh, they they will go out of, the, out of their way to help you even if they don't speak any English and unfortunately most of the time they don't speak a lot of English or the English they do speak mm, it can be a bit difficult to understand at times but as I say the people are, are really really friendly um, the food is unbelievable yes 
Yeah, you can get all types of food that you want here, and the Japanese cuisine is uh, is great as well. Anyway, that's a, a good start off from us. Um, so let's uh, let's head on in into the uh, uh, into the stalls and have a look what uh, what's at hand there. Absolutely, I can't wait to get in there. The Kenwood's booth is right there. <laughs> okay, thanks, John. So he's the one that's holding the hat all over the place, or the he hat's is. all in him. The hat's all in him. I yeah. think is the way. Yeah. It goes. So he uh, he he gets a lot of miles in for sure. Yeah. I wonder who the camera person was. I think it was maybe uh, John's wife. I'm not oh, sure. Okay. Talking a little earlier about the youths. Not the youths. Not the youths. <laughs> and and they have those in Japan, too. Right there at the Tokyo Ham Fair. Yep. We got the soldering irons out, starting them young men. Pretty good, pretty good little turnout. Yeah, yeah, they got a real good turnout. Pretty good, good size um, forum there. It looked like to me. Mm-hmm. I'm here with Sakai uh, AB5MF, and he's showing me uh, your from the Japan Shortwave Club. Is that right? Yes, yes. I'm with the uh, Japan Shortwave Club. Uh, that's uh, probably the longest history in Japan as a uh, shortwave uh, listeners club. And uh, you know, uh, just just uh, this is my my my, my recent uh, uh, kind of job. But just uh, I used a selfie mm-hmm. and then tripod for camera. And then this is a uh, like uh, some stuff uh, when I found uh, uh, which I found at uh, the Home Depot. Oh, yeah, right. it's, it's, everything is just just a homemade. And this is the except this one. This is the uh, uh, amplifier for uh, shortwave uh, shortwave band. As well as the medium wave. So this is a broadcast loop antenna yes. uh, and short wave. Yeah, uh, okay, yes. and what from what megahertz to what megahertz does it tune? Okay, uh, this covers the medium wave and in the short wave up to thirty megahertz. Thirty megahertz. Yes. Well, wow, that's quite a. Yes. a, a, a it's extent. a broad, broad, broad band. Yeah, yeah that'll broad cover band. most of the short wave bands, which is really good. Yep. And of course, it amplifies as well, yes. not not just tunes, mm-hmm. so amplifies yep. as well. And uh, it, obviously, being a loop antenna, it would be very directional. Yes. So you can yes. not out interference yes. Yes. as well yes uh, our typical issue is the noise yes noise is definitely getting higher and higher when i was young so yeah. uh rather than wire antenna and a loop antenna is probably for me it's mandatory now uh, so so uh, just either turning the loop to avoid the noise okay this is a, a fantastic design and looks very cheap to make is there a website somewhere where people can look at how you made this Okay, um, I have my own website for shortwave listening, mm-hmm. and uh, which is a uh, uh, shortwave sound clip, mm-hmm. and maybe you can Google that. But the I haven't uh, put uh, this uh, information yet, so maybe okay. I'm going to uh, put it oh, soon. Well, yes. I think a lot of people w- would appreciate yes. it. By the way, I, I did a lot of shortwave listening myself in my okay. when I was younger, and uh, I remember my absolute best QSL card was from Radio Tampa. Radio uh, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. and I don't know if you're familiar with them or not, but uh, the card would fold up at the ends, right? Okay. And there were two little holes, and you put little plastic eyelets in there and look through. Oh. And on the back was a map of Japan, and it, and it was 3D. So, yes, yes, uh, three-dimensional. Three yeah. Uh, I don't think I've seen that before. Well, it was a very unique. Very unique yes, card. Yes. It was really good. Yeah. Anyway, nice to meet you. Good to see you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. Thank you for stopping by. That antenna, that's, I got I to gotta agree with them on that one. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I like that. Very similar to the 
the delta loop I put up in the backyard. So it's whole, the way it's oriented like that is horizontally uh, polarized. That's a great receive antenna. Yeah, it really is. Well, what are we looking at here, Emil? I'm thinking this is our uh, their version of our ARRL, the JARL. Japanese Amateur Radio League. No doubt further than the uh, science and uh, arts of radio. Oh, yeah. Those are the folks who uh, created the D-Star standard yeah, years sure and years was. ago. Sure was. So, uh, and a lot of a lot of good things they do. Mm-hmm. You know, on the cutting edge for sure. Well, I don't know what to say about this next one other than I believe this this is an amateur radio related uh, podcast that's uh, th- this guy is doing over in Japan. Um, and I, I won't try to pronounce the name of it, though. Thank we'll thank we'll let them do it. We're here with uh, Rio, J-G-1-I-T-H, yep. okay? And uh, you actually do a podcast here in Japan. Yeah. Right? So we have a program for amateur radio here, mm-hmm. and uh, we have a local community FM radio, yes. and uh, the very limited radio. But uh, we are broadcasting the, through the uh, podcast or internet as well. Okay, so if you're li- is this in Tokyo? Yes. In yeah. Tokyo. So if I had my radio, mm. what, where would I tune mm-hmm. on the radio? What, mm. where's, well, what's the name of the station? Oh, c- called uh, FM Paloloom, uh, located in the Mito City, buried uh, 150 kilometers from Tokyo metropolitan area. So yes. we cannot hear, listen the radio directly here oh, in, okay. in Tokyo. Right. But only for the internet. And what, what frequency is it? Uh, 76.2 megahertz. Yes. 76.2. 76.2. Oh, yeah. Okay, 76.2. Yes, uh, a leaflet. And what time and what day is your program on? Uh, Sunday evening from 9 o'clock. Yep, Sunday evening from 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock right. for the right. 440 minutes program. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, that, well, that's great. And you obviously talk about ham radio. Right, and, right. Uh, that's really good. Well, um, for anybody, uh, but it's in Japanese, isn't it? Uh, only in Japanese. Sorry only in about Japanese. that. <laughs> okay. Well, for for our Japanese viewers, yeah. uh, check out their program. Thank you very okay, much. Thank you. Arigato gozaimasu. So interesting stuff going on there. The podcasting thing has really taken off in recent years. Oh yeah, no doubt. That's uh, everybody and his brothers trying to do one now. Yeah, but I guess it's good to know they've got some. I'm going over there too mm-hmm. because a lot of those folks over there may not understand our southern aids here. I was going to say we should get into some video podcasting or something. Maybe yeah, so. That's not, a, that's not a bad idea, Emil. Well, Tommy, what are we going to look at next? You know, I've been so excited to get to this. I announced it <laughs> yeah. earlier, but uh, anyway, Peter ran into some guys with some QRP kits there. We're going to take a look at that. I've got a special treat here for for you all. I'm here with Junichi, uh, JL1KRA. Uh, pleased to meet you, uh, Junichi. Uh, now, you've got a little kit radio here, okay? Do you want to tell us about it, the specifications and, uh, you know, what it costs and what it can do? Ah, this is a two-band QRP radio uh, named HT1A. And this is a 40-meter, uh, 20-meter CW only and 5 watt full gallon uh, QRP. And I'm distributing uh, this kit uh, for the amateur who like this, making something yes. by themselves. 
that's the uh, uh, nature of amateur radio people. And uh, if one receives the kit, yeah. the bolt, the small mounted parts are already yeah. installed. And rest of the parts, we bought this kit built into this board and assemble to the chassis and he can obtain the, his own plate. Yeah. So this is what we are doing. Yeah, so you've got the surface mount already done. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, that's so, a difficult one recently. Yeah. Yes. yeah, that could be a problem with some yeah. some uh, kits, you know, yeah. that you, you have that problem. Mm -hmm. And you've got a little LCD display as well, which mm -hmm. is yes. good. Now, you talked about the transmission, mm -hmm. uh, so it's, uh, it, is it just one frequency, crystal controlled, or can it, it be anywhere on the floor? Yeah, that, that's a good question. This transceiver is a DDS, yes. Direct Digital Synthesis, yes. so uh, as well as the uh, VFO, yeah. analog VFO, uh, we, we have many transceivers, it, this, even this small transceiver can cover full the bandwidth band, band with inside amateur radio. Even oh. it can receive the broadband, um, uh, the broadcast band. Okay, so um, uh, so when you say 40 meg, uh, it can do that. For transmit, mm -hmm. can I change it from say 7025 to 7050? Yeah. Yeah, just with tuning. Yes, yes. Oh, yes, that's, that's, yes. that's excellent. Yes. But of course the receive bandwidth is much broader mm -hmm. than the transmit band mm -hmm. bandwidth. Mm -hmm. So the, I, I read there, I think it was 5.9 megahertz up to what on receive? Uh, receive only. Ah, receive only. Uh, outside amateur radio, the CPU is prohibited transmitting, yes. so it, it's very safe. Yes, yes. So it, it can uh, uh, agree to the FCC or Jap Japanese government uh, yeah. uh, specification. What, mm. what I mean though is if I uh, tune for just to listen, not to transmit, right? Yeah, not, not transmit what, outside band. Yeah, okay, from what frequency to what frequency? From what frequency to what frequency? Yeah, I think it says here 5.9 to 16? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. You, okay. can, you can receive whole band 5.9 to 16 megahertz. Okay. That you can transmit only okay. with and how narrow is the um, the filter? Oh, of... that's important. Uh, you can see the three crystals, three yes. crystals inside. So the uh, width of the receding bandwidth is not so narrow. Yeah. Maybe contestor expect a 300 hertz yes. or 250 hertz, but this transceiver is around 500 hertz. Yes. So it is not uh, focusing the contest or super DXing, yeah. but for casual use in daily operation outside yeah. and uh, very relaxed QRP radio. Yeah, I don't know, that, that's fine, that'll mm. work very well mm. on uh, CW, okay? Mm -hmm. But it, obviously it means that if you tune into a broadcast band, mm -hmm. uh, sorry, not broadcast band, a shortwave radio station mm -hmm. like Radio Netherlands mm -hmm. or uh, let's say Radio France International, mm -hmm. it's not going to sound very good, is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that's a, uh, you, you are saying about the bandwidth of the filters. Yeah. This this QRP transceiver, the amazing point is, this is even the CW transceiver. You can change the mode to, from CW to the uh, CW to SSB. Oh, that's yes. Hold here you can see the LSB. Mm -hmm. In this case, the by uh, one width of the crystal filter is wider. Yes. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And how stable is it? If, like, if you tune in to a, a radio station, will it stay on frequency or will it drift? Never drift. It's a DDS. So it's basically the stability is a crystal 
glory here. Crystal Paul and Young. All right, look, that's a great, uh, um, uh, a great product. Uh, is there a website people can go to yes. to find out about Yes, that? yes. Uh, if you, you please find uh, uh, CR Kids, where it is. Please Google the CR kit yep. and Google that. Yes, yeah, and then you can find this transceiver, HT1A. Yeah, that's very good. Okay, the only other question is what does it cost? How much? Uh, it costs about uh, in US dollar or in yeah, Japanese? US, US dollar. Oh, US dollar. So a kit is about 150 USD, US yeah. dollar. Okay. And assembled one is 175 US dollar. So oh, very, 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 very economic. Okay, yeah. well, that looks like a great kit, and, uh, uh, one I might build myself in the future. It looks terrific. Okay, nice to meet you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. I liked that uh, chassis in the display. It looked nice, box. didn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. really nice kit. Yeah. Well, we've still got uh, more videos from Peter and John here to go. Let's take a quick break, though, and... Uh, Check in with Professor Thomas and Dean Martin. Okay. Uh-oh, we might learn some. At the end of each month, it's Amateur Logic's Ham College, the new show for those new to the hobby and those wanting to get into amateur radio. Which of the following is a purpose of the amateur radio service as stated in the FCC rules and regulations? That inductor and capacitor form a tuned circuit. That's how you tune the radio to the frequency that you want. The English language. We lived in town. I liked it. I, I listened to mine a lot. It was really cool because you didn't have to have a battery to power yeah. them. There's our homemade telegraph station. We can use it for long-distance communications. Oh, like, uh, what, three feet yeah, here? across the table. The answer is B. Voltage was named after Italian physicist Alessandro Volta. We can see we're generating a little bit of electricity there. It's DC. It's always great to go back and get a refresher. It well, sure is. A lot of that stuff, if you've been a ham for a while like we have, you, you don't really think about a lot of that stuff that often. They didn't have electric screwdrivers in those days, so that's why we're not using ones. That's why we went primitive with it. Yeah. So let's see if we can hear anything when we, uh, we fire off our spark gap transmitter. Well, we didn't build anything or blow up anything today, but... Uh, the night's still young. That just never gets old, man. Yeah. <laughs> John Tarbox asks, have you done or will you be doing a segment on FT8 call? And I guess that's a new uh, part of FT8 protocol that came out, uh, mm -hmm. Joe Taylor stuff. So uh, we And then uh, there was another one on there regarding the same thing from David Telling. Yeah, and FT8 call, um, it's, it's that's there. a modified version of FT8 that it it wasn't the FT8 crew that did it. Uh, some other guy took that source and modified it so you could actually oh, do okay. QSOs. Oh, okay, my, my bad. It. I was thinking that the same guy. No, it was uh, Joe Taylor's, uh, that group's code, but mm -hmm. uh, someone modified it since it's open source. Okay. So that you could do QSOs, but uh, uh, go ahead. So anyway, uh, David Telling Jr. on the Facebook group asks if he didn't know if anybody's tried the new FT8 call digital mode, but he was just going to let you know it's really slow. But uh, like you had mentioned, that's kind of what happens when, uh, you know, the, the reliability factors there, the, mm -hmm. the data rate's going to go way down. But uh, 
We we haven't done anything with it. I think it just came out pretty recently. It is. It, it was very recent. So uh, we haven't done anything with it, uh, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if one of us didn't do something with it at some point. Yes. It's, uh, anything, anything that helps during this, you know, the solar minimum. Oh yeah. Right. It yeah. might it might be slow, but if it works, it works. Yep. Yeah. Plus, it's, plus it's something new to play around with too. So everybody always wants to try something new. Speaking of something new to try to play around with, Emil, what is this next thing we're going to look at here? I'm um, I'm thinking while uh, Peter was at the uh, Tokyo Ham Fair, he found some uh, type of experiment, uh, possibly with the uh, polarity. But we still don't understand how it works. Uh, it's just got to be an electromagnet where they're reversing the polarity. Did you see one? No, but oh. there was a box <laughs> and a wire. I, I don't know what, what the center strip thing was, if that yeah, was a magnet or a... But I thought it looked like it was just some rails. We'll have to get some clarification from Peter on that. Unless John saw it and, and may know. Yeah, we were discussing it before the show. Maybe there was an electromagnet at either end, but yeah, I didn't see any. Must have worked on smoke can't, and mirrors. Can't really see magnet. Well, you can't, but <laughs> uh, still, I, you need I don't to, understand. You need flux capacitor goggles for that. Maybe so. John says we didn't understand either. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I feel much better now. Well, it was interesting. <laughs> it was. Wow. Quite interesting. All right, this next one here, Tommy, what, yeah, what they, is this? Uh, looks like they ran into some uh, AMSET folks over there. Some, uh, well, one, I guess one and a half Canadians. One Canadian and one transplanted American over there. I've run into a, a, a chap here from America. A chap. A chap, yes. A chap. A chap. Keith uh, VA3OB. VA uh, Canada or America? Canada. It's Canada, yeah, right, VA okay? It's Canada. And VA also, is Canada. Yep, and his, his wife also, Kate, uh, VA3OGS. Correct. Okay. Yeah, both, I'm an American, she's Canadian. Uh-huh. I married her, she dragged me across the border, and now I live in Canada. I'm uh, not leaving the Queen for anything. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Um, well, we've got the Queen as well, so yeah, I don't... That's right. That's yes, right. Yes. Actually, there is that small matter of back taxes owing by uh, by the Americans. Uh, well, yeah, well uh, yeah. We're not very good at paying taxes. You know uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, Keith, you were saying that you're also um, like head of... Uh, what is it? I was. I'm well, the past president of AMSAT. North America. We're the satellite builders. Mm -hmm. I'm currently the treasurer. Yep. And uh, as I was telling you before we started, we've got three of our Fox satellites are currently in orbit. Yep. We've got two more in the barn waiting to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hopefully by the end of this year, we'll have those two in orbit. Uh, one of them will be a what we call an analog satellite, which is you use yeah. sideband CW rather than FM. The others yeah. are FM, 
essentially a bent pipe. You send FM up on one band, it comes down on the other. Now, uh, obviously, you'd need, uh, can you use like a handheld with you one of these? You certainly can. Uh, if you have a dual band handheld, mm-hmm. or if you have a handheld on one frequency and let's say a scanner on another, yep. uh, where you can monitor both. These little Chinese Baofeng yep. uh, radios, 30, 40 US dollars, I don't know what they are. In, in sure, your, you can pick them up here for Yeah, worries. for a song. For a song. Uh, you can use two radios or just one, and then a small, uh, we, we, we use what's called an arrow antenna. You may yep. have seen it. It's made out of arrow shafts, handheld, and with that and a couple of watts, you don't need a whole lot of power. Oh, right. Uh, you can work through these satellites. And, of course, the nice part about it, I'm not sure what your licensing system is, but uh, if you want to work long distance, yes. uh, you kind of have to have an HF yes. license. Mm-hmm. Whereas with satellites, or if you're in a place where you can't put up a lot of antennas, like here in Japan, you know, yes. they're, they're tight in terms yeah. of the way they live and you know we can work our satellites these are small little cube sets they're mm-hmm. literally this big yeah uh, you can work those off a balcony mm-hmm. uh, or out in the uh, we have one gentleman who lives in downtown washington dc lives in an apartment and he comes outside and, in his parking lot when the satellite comes over yeah i've um i've worked uh, satellites on packet myself, yes. okay. yeah, uh, particularly the International Space Station. Haven't done voice, but uh, it sounds like a, lo- a lot of fun to do. Yeah. Can um, uh, I imagine you could actually uh, do it with a vertical? Yes, uh, you can. Yeah. You can. It's tougher. Tougher. But uh, a lot of people uh, that don't have the rotatable antennas where you can do all, you know, mm-hmm. will we'll set their antenna at about a 45 degree angle sure. and then just use the, the yeah. azimuth rotation. Because the, the number of times that you're going to have a satellite directly overhead is, is not that often. Yeah. But usually you'll have something off to the, to the east or the west of you. Most of our satellites are in polar orbits. Mm-hmm. They come over the poles. And so you'll have a couple of shots at them each day. Yep. And particularly for you folks down under, yep. uh, some of the satellites that we had in high orbits before were really favoring the northern hemisphere. Whereas a lot of the low Earth, we call them low Earth satellites... Are favoring everybody. So, uh, yeah, these uh, these satellites are amazing. A lot of the technology now has shrunk down to the point, to point where, and it's a lot of this technology yeah. that's going into them, that we can put a very small package uh, together and fits in a standard size. And by the way, that CubeSat, you've heard of that. Yes. That CubeSat standard was developed by one of our AMSAT members and another partner at Stanford University. And that now has become a standard worldwide, and everybody is building satellites mm-hmm. that go into those things, including now, some of the comes that come off the International Space Station. Now, of course, there's a, it actually costs a little bit to put these things up there, okay? Yes, it does. And AMSAT is a non-profit organization. That is correct. So, um, first of all, the obvious question is, uh, where can people go to get more information about AMSAT? AMSAT.org. www. Now, that's the U.S. version. Yep. AMSAT.org. I believe uh, some of your... Australian compatriots are building some some of these small mm-hmm. satellites as well. Yeah. But yeah, www.amsat.org. There's all kinds of information. Just start mm-hmm. clicking. And, and, uh, and of course, people can support. Um, you know, they can. We're very fortunate because NASA, the National Aerosonic, uh, hello, National Aerosonics and Space Administration, 
has a program they call ILANA, which is Educational Launch of Nanosatellites. And what we're doing is we're partnering with educational institutions to carry experiments on board our satellites. And if you look at the way our satellites are put together, there's several different uh, circuit boards. One is a transmitter, one's yep. a receiver, one's the battery, one's a It's computer. like a layered kind It's layered. And then there's three spots at the top we call TSFR, this space for rent. Yep. And so what we'll do is we'll partner with a university that wants to do some kind of radio-related research, and then we submit a proposal to NASA. NASA puts us in the, in the pipe and says, yeah, we can launch you guys. And so we get a free launch yep. out of that. Well, that's, and that's, that's what we're doing. Our next generation is called Golf, and it's going to be rather than just a 1U, what we call a 1U satellite, it'll be a 3U satellite and have a little more power, maybe into a higher orbit, yep. so we have a, a larger footprint yep. for communication over a longer period of time. Well, that, that, that'll be great. Um, yeah, so, well, uh, it, it all sounds great. And I think that uh, for schools particularly, like if you're a teacher who's qualified ham, Absolutely. this is a great way to engage Absolutely. with youth and uh, yeah. get them interested. In, in, in fact, the, the whole ARIS, the Amateur Radio on the International Space Station, which is also comes under, or at least on the North American part, comes under our umbrella. We yeah. support them. That is a fantastic program because it gets school children mm-hmm. into direct voice-to-voice contact with an astronaut or a cosmonaut, and watching something, that that changes lives. Absolutely. I mean, it really changes lives. But you're right, you know, we're non-profit, and we're always asking for donations. Even though we get a free launch, it still costs us hundreds of thousands of U.S. dollars to put the satellites together, and then we have to test them. They have to be all tested in vacuum chambers, and we put them on a shake table to make sure they, they work. Uh, the NASA, uh, the work that goes into the ARIS project to carry something on board the International Space Station is extremely expensive because we have to pay NASA back, in some cases, for some of the work that we do for them to certify to fly us our package on the International Space Station because it's a human-tended yep. operation, and they have to be make sure everything's safe and we're not going to cause any kinds of problems. But yes, AMSAT.org, that's the American group. There's other groups around the world. There's AMSAT UK, there's AMSAT DL. We have, I believe we have an equivalent down in, in VK land uh, for folks. But uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an exciting part. I, I like to say this, that, that, that amateur radio is a multifaceted operation. And if you get tired of something, you can always try something else. And right now, with the HF bands not being as propagating as they have been, a lot of people are saying, gee, you know, I'd really like to try this. And so there's a way to do that without expending a whole lot of money, and that's what you and I were talking about with a a small handheld, and just see if there's something you like to do. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, anyway, nice to meet you, Keith. Absolutely, you have and, my card. And also, nice to meet it's you, nice Kate. Nice to meet you. Yeah. And, and yeah. if there's any other questions or anyone wants to uh, drop a, a note to me, there's uh, there's email addresses yep. there where you can, can call up. And we look forward to seeing you on the, we say, see you on the birds. Uh, no worries. Okay. okay, thank you. Man, I used to be pretty interested in that a long time me ago. Me too. Remember when George II... Mm-hmm. Uh, NC5Y was still alive, and uh, he was into it. He used to like to go over there and check that stuff out. Yeah. Neat stuff. You ever done much satellite work, Emil? 
Well, you know, I bought ICOMS 9100, and I've yet to use it for that, but I do. I'm. It's definitely on my bucket list, like Tommy's bucket list, to have uh, azimuth elevation uh, controlled uh, antenna array out here hitting that 9100, if not some other radio from ICOM. Yeah. You, you know, with the technology we got today with the Arduinos and the Raspberry Pis and all you got to figure you could build one up. Without, yeah, I've seen them. You know. I've absolutely seen the kits and the, the people doing it and uh, looking for that just right fit for yep. the cheap old budget. <laughs> <laughs> cheap old budget. Yeah, that'd be nice to have. It'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, you know, while uh, um, Peter and John and John's wife were there, they won awards. No way. They sure did. Victor's Kido Sleep Papa Bravo. I was just asking John over in the chat room there. All three of them got the award, but they don't know what it was. Really? No. <laughs> uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed the guys who were giving them the award was kind of laughing, so <laughs> <laughs> I, I I really don't know. I think it's just an award to have an award, but just like that magnetic thing, none of us are really sure. It's a major award. This whole show's kind of been a mystery, hasn't it? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Some of it. So it's been fun, show. though. Well, we got one final piece of video tonight. Emil, tell us what what is happening here? Well, uh, I think uh, Peter and uh, John pretty much wrapped it up and had a close of it. It's been a couple of days since the end of Ham Fair, and unfortunately uh, we, we filmed some closing comments at Ham Fair, uh, and uh, I don't know if they got deleted or just never got recorded in the first place. But uh, So we've met up a few days later, um, and John and Diana are just about to head back to the U.S. And um, so you have a, give me some closing thoughts, uh, John, about Ham Fair and also about um, Japan in general. Okay. Ham Fair was amazing. It was really, really amazing. But the biggest takeaway I got was the kids in that area there all soldering, making things. Uh, that was amazing. You know, I've never seen that before. Um, I, I've heard it's happened at Hampers in the US, but I've never seen it like that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. There was uh, a big representation of new vendors or people selling new stuff. Not so much uh, second-hand stuff like you would get at, say, Huntsville. But, uh, you know, uh, I have to say that it was at least the size of Huntsville uh, in terms of, you know, the amount of exhibitor space, etc. Uh, the exhibitor uh, facilities were first class, uh, and it's been great. Now, well, what about Japan in general, uh, John? It's amazing. That's all I can say. It's amazing. The people are great. The food is great. The hospitality is great. The city's great. And you have things like that. <laughs> now, apologies for getting a little bit of wind noise here, but that's just unavoidable. Um, it's also getting a little bit uh, late, late in the day, so it might appear a little bit dark. That's uh, Tokyo Sky Tree, by the way, behind us. I was up there a little bit earlier today. And yeah, it's a tourist trap, but uh, I. It's worth it's worth paying the twenty dollars uh, American to go up and and have a look. Uh, it's, it's quite good. My thoughts on Japan. Um, well, since 
a ham fair I've been up to Shin- Shibu Watson, uh, which is a spa town and I've been attacked by wild monkeys uh, I've also down to be, to, been down to Kyoto and uh, here, uh, what is it uh, Hiroshima and Mayajima and um, yeah look uh, the, the thing that stands out for me is the friendliness of the people you can get towers like that and all sorts of other interesting things all around the world but in terms of uh, politeness uh, and people going out of their way to help you uh, Japan is a first class place to visit it's also extremely safe now of course you've got to use some common sense like uh, you you would anywhere but uh, you can go out late at night and you'll feel quite safe and there's plenty of people around and and plenty of uh, police Anyway, uh, thanks for coming, John. Hey, Peter, thank you. It's and pleasure. thanks also to Diana, who doesn't want to appear on screen. Yeah. <laughs> John's wife, come on, say hello. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, who's helped us out with the camera work. So uh, seventy-three from uh, all of us, and uh, yeah, do do come visit Japan and Ham Fair. Seventy-three to everybody as well. Yeah, uh, thanks, uh, John and Peter and John's wife, and I don't remember his wife's name, but. Uh, we yeah, really she uh, she must like getting in front of the camera like mine does. Yeah, you can point that camera at her and, and she'll like take off. She does, she doesn't like get in front of it at all. Um, looked like a great ham fest there. I could see, and from what we saw there, they only talked with people who spoke English. But you well, got to figure. Yeah. They had to hunt pretty hard to, I mean, to find people that. Yeah, so I wonder, yeah. I wonder, I kind of wondered about that. Like, I wonder how it is to go to that and, and speak a different language than the native language if it was difficult to, to you know, to get around. I got to imagine it, it is, yeah. Um, but I've never done it, so I don't really know. I definitely bring Google Translate with me. You do. I, I would. Yeah. Yeah. I do that every time I come to Louisiana. <laughs> no, really, I, I think you'd it'd be tough. Um, certainly uh, one of those bucket list experiences, though, huh? Oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Be, I'd like to go there. Let's go to the one in Germany. Yep. Do you think we might could enlist the Cajun Navy to kind of get us a cheap trip over there, Emil? <laughs> Yeah, it'll be cheap. I'm not sure you're going to make it, but it'll be cheap. You think the bass boats will make it? Uh, Japan. Hmm. I don't. I don't know, Donnie. Yeah. Have plenty of good food before it sucks, though. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, thank you, Peter and John. That's awesome for sharing. I, yeah, I saw some of those videos he uh, was talking about on his Facebook, Peter's Facebook page. The uh, yeah. spa city he was talking about, and he's got all kind of stuff out there. Oh yeah, I need to check it out. I haven't been on Facebook a whole lot lately. Well, you notice I just woke up that radio that was sleeping over here. It's ready to go. Uh, hey, what is what is that? That is the ICOM IC seventy three hundred that we're going to be giving away next month. Yep, yeah, a one month from tonight. As a matter of fact, uh, we got a. Full prize package there, the IC7300 software-defined radio from ICOM, an MFJ2286 big-ear antenna. Not the big-ear. 
No, oh, big, big stick, stick antenna. Oh. Right there. <laughs> right. Um, <clears throat> the Hull ICM microphone for icon, older ICOM rigs. Mm -hmm. Push the talk button there on it. ICOM mic connector already. The Hull BM17 headset. Yeah, if these don't make it to my house first. Well, <laughs> if they get out of the shack, I'm thinking. I like those. I used them. You know, last time we talked about them, I said, I'm going to try those out. Well, I actually got them on the air this week and tried them out. And they sounded good, sounded fine, very comfortable, lightweight. I could see you easily being able to wear them for a long time. And the guys I, I talked with said that the audio sounded good on it. They cool. could hardly tell I'd swapped to a headset. Yeah. I, actually, I seriously may look at getting one of those for the house. I like it a lot. Yep. Uh, the MFJ power supply, what is that, Tommy? That is the um, MFJ4230 DMP 12-volt 30-amp power supply, switching power supply. Yep. And, of course, to hook this radio to that antenna that email's covering up back there. Okay. That one. Yep. You're going to need some coax, and we've got uh, 50 foot of uh, MFJ American-made RG8X coax with the connectors already on it. And in case you are a technician or a general and need to upgrade, we got uh, Gordon West Amateur Radio training manuals here. The non-transparent version. Right. Yeah, this one in the back. Yeah, that one is kind of... Yeah, that was see-through. <laughs> yeah. Can't, email, he'll block anything. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Um, but uh, either the general or extra class guide yeah. uh, available there. Pretty nice package. Very nice package. That radio has uh, got an RF direct sampling system, uh, great DSP noise reduction. You're going to get a couple of these babies. Uh, you're going to get a couple of uh, Fogold PL259s from the private amateur logic stock there. The last of a series. Yeah, we can't be responsible if you actually put RF through them. Yep. It's got great RMDR and phase noise characteristics, 15 discrete bandpass filters, a 4.3-inch color touchscreen display, a built-in automatic antenna tuner. Uh, it's got everything you'd want in a rig and at a very good price. And this one particularly because someone's going to be getting this one for free. That's an excellent price. That, Sounds great to me. That is the most excellent price. Of course, a great power supply there. We've talked about it before. That one is actually mine, but we've got one in a box for the winter. Uh, the Big Stick Antenna. Very interesting antenna. You yeah. use the Big Ear. Yeah, this I've one got the Big Ear. Is is very similar. Uh, it's 17-foot telescopic. Adjust the height to change the tuning as well as retap the coil here. And that one covers what? 7 to 55 megahertz, and it'll handle up to 1 kW. Well, that's pretty good. I would think you probably wouldn't want to be running more than 1 kW sitting right next to it. You probably probably wouldn't, unless you're trying to pop popcorn. Yep. Uh, the Heil ICM mic, uh, of course, designed for older ICOM rigs. And the new emergency communicator headset there, 
like I say, those sounded great. And Gordo's books, no better resource studying. Yeah, for absolutely. For your amateur great, radio great books. We, uh, we use these, uh, reference them from time to time on uh, Ham College. Yeah. So, how do you qualify to enter? Well, you got to be a licensed U.S. or Canadian amateur radio operator with a U.S. or Canadian shipping address. Yep. Uh, you can only do one entry per contestant. Sending more than one entry will disqualify the applicant. So and, please, please don't send more than one. Right. And the winner is going to be responsible if there are any taxes incurred in it. Uh, the winner agrees to the use of his or her uh, call sign and name and any promotional or news items related to the contest, which basically all that's ever been is we just announce, hey, this lucky ham won. Yeah. And the contestants must not be an employee or affiliate of Amateur Logic, ICOM, MFJ Enterprises, Heil Sound, or Gordon West. And how do you enter? Well, you send an email to contest2018 at amateurlogic.tv with only your call sign in the subject line. That's very important. Only your call sign in the subject line. It includes your name, call sign, class of license, and address in the email message. And submissions must be made uh, between now and when, Tommy? October the 11th. Basically, what we're going to do is, uh, from the pool of qualified entrants there, we're going to draw a random number and determine who wins. And that'll be announced on the October 15th episode of AmateurLogic.tv. Now, before you go register, if you've already registered, don't do it again. If you're interested in the contest, go to this address, amateurlogic.tv slash contest. You'll get all the details there. Do that to double-check and make sure that your entry is correct. And, yeah, uh, yeah, please read over the instructions. And uh, and good luck in the contest. And good luck in the contest. Well... We thank everyone for being here with us tonight. It has been another fun show. It's always fun for us to go to Huntsville. One day, Tokyo, man. It's coming up. It's coming up. Emil, can we get you to go with us? Put me in, Coach. Okay. All right. We'll have to figure out how to get over there cheaply. <laughs> well, that's why I said put me in, Coach. Okay. <laughs> or the overhead bins or wherever you can sneak me in. <laughs> you see, you've got dual purpose out of that. Yeah. Right there. I, I see what you did there. That was good. You see what yeah. I did there. That's, yeah. All right. That was good. <laughs> it's better than expected, really. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's very good. You get two uh, double cheapness points for that, Emil. Double cheap, huh? You know, you got all of that Heil equipment over there, and I, I just can't help myself for mentioning. I just happened to be perusing 40 meters the other night, and oh, yeah. I sure heard a familiar voice talking on uh, 40 meters uh, for the um, Route 66 contest. I could swear it was Bob Heil working uh, W6R. And it, it probably was, because I know he was participating in that event. And I saw your post, but I was about 30 minutes late, and by the time I tuned in, he was gone. Uh, I blame it on the transmitter, because I had a transmitter site that went down, and I had to make a trip out there. Oh, man. I got back, and I missed the contest, or the the special event. That was one heck of a pileup. You, if you talk to him, I, he's going to explain it, man, that he had 
people from all over hitting them. Yep. I think it's still going on right now, isn't it? Uh, I'm not sure. Is it, is it through the weekend? I don't remember the exact length of the so. event. Yeah, I think it's still going on. So look for it on the air, uh, Route 66 yeah, special yeah. event. Speaking of event, don't forget about the D-Star QSO uh, party. That's on the uh, 22nd? 22nd at uh, 0 UTC all the way up to 2400 UTC. I guess that would be 2359 59 UTC, wouldn't it? What are you doing, looking for the piece of paper? Yeah. It's in here. <laughs> oh, it's in here. How yeah. did you hide it in there? Uh, when you weren't looking. Okay. All right. Well, before we go, a couple of things. Up those posts that you saw tonight, they came from our social media uh, networks, and that is what? Facebook.com slash group slash amateurlogic.tv. We also have a ham college group there yep. on Facebook. And uh, at the Google Plus community for Amateur Logic. It's one yep. of those for Ham College as well. And you can follow us on the Twitters. Yep, at Amateur Logic and at Ham College. And we're also on Instagram. Although that's mostly for when we go to things. We'll post some pictures uh, from time to time there. But mm-hmm. if you do Instagram, follow us there. Uh, Amateur Logic's the name. Yep. And if you want to know what's uh, been going on in the episodes of Amateur Logic, go to our show notes wiki, amateurlogic.tv slash wiki. Our friend Dan in Mount LVS does that for us every month. And, you know, some folks may be wondering tonight why we've got these shirts on. Why you've got an Alabama shirt and I've got an Ole Miss shirt on here. Yep. Well, tomorrow's game day. The two teams are playing, so uh, I thought I'd go ahead and start rubbing it in a little early. Yep. Well, <laughs> now, when I saw you came in here with that, I knew I had to go put on uh-huh. an old Miss You shirt. knew something was up, didn't you? Yep. Although both of us are uh, Southern Miss dads. Yeah. You? Uh, yeah. My yep. son went there. I've got a daughter there. so. Um. You know, George, I got, I got one more thing. Yeah. You know, um, you, you showed my picture of the uh, the beanie cap there from uh, Mike, VE3MIC. Yeah. You know, I'm... I'm suspicious of uh, something I got in the mail recently that shows uh, a, a new certification that I've obtained. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking that that technology. might have come through. Uh, thinking that you know, this is a high <laughs> honor, and uh, I just wanted to thank whoever that was, Mike. Yeah, That's you never it. know. We just we have mysterious packages show up yeah, here in the mail. They, they do, but uh, you, you, it's always good to have that certification. You know, if your current job doesn't pan out, you're certified for something else. Yep. <laughs> awesome. And you you might want to get an endorsement for a cable tie removal as well. Oh, removal! If oh. you've got the tools, you can do that as well. Thanks everyone for uh, joining us tonight. It's been another fun show. Uh, hey, why don't we do this again next week and clear out this table here? Get rid of that stuff. Oh, next week? How about next month? Month? Well, we do wait about a month for yeah, that? Yeah, maybe so. I need an air conditioner to run at least another week. It's gotten so hot in <laughs> uh-huh. here tonight. Yeah. So, and again, thanks to uh, to John and Peter for sending the coverage in from uh, Ham Pharaoh. That was really interesting. Appreciate you guys taking oh, yeah. the time to do that. Yeah. All right, uh, join us toward the end of the month for the next episode of Ham College. I'll be doing my part from remote. You will be doing it remotely, mm-hmm. won't you? Yep. You got a special light just for that yeah, event. Yeah, it's a very too, special too. light. 
<laughs> well, you kind of need I, I it. More, I, I literally did buy a light because it's pretty hard to get decent lighting in a hotel room. But uh, yeah. Anyway, so. Yeah. Well, before we go, any final words? Nope. Good luck in the contest. And uh, if you haven't entered, go ahead and do it. Yep. Emil? No. The only thing I'm going to say right now is uh, Godspeed to the people over on the East Coast because I think they're getting pounded right about now. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And stay vigilant. It's not over yet, right? The whole thing, the season. So keep a watch. Stay safe. Lots of stuff still out there in the Gulf. Yeah, or out in line. Yeah. So, with that, seven three, hotty toddy, roll tide. Go Tigers! (laughs) (laughs) See y'all next month. Actually, I've answered the email, but I hand handle. Actually, I've answered the email. <laughs> Man, Arnie, take five. Yeah. <laughs> well, Emil, you got an email. Say that for three us times tonight. real fast. This is an actual email, isn't it? So, you think so? Oh, we're going to look at, oh, yeah, the Peter ran into across the QRP kit there. So we'll take a look at that. Um, nope. No, I don't think that's what we're going to no, look at next. Well, let's. You know, I, I was thinking earlier. And maybe I'll just keep thinking about it because I can't remember. <laughs> well, that's, that's just it. it. It can get through under soft touch. Really? Yeah.